Hey, everybody, Pierre Quinn here. You're listening to episode 145 of the Leading While Green podcast, where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I am joined by Chelsea Kim. Chelsea is co-founder and head of marketing and operations at Bella. Bella is a lifestyle brand with the first conversational banking experience, 100% powered by love. Now, before we jump into that conversation with Chelsea, I want to thank you so much for listening to the Leading Wild Green podcast, for joining us on this leadership journey, for sharing it on social media, for reviewing it, for asking Alexa to play the latest episode, everything that you're doing to partner with us on this leadership journey has been truly incredible. And I want to thank you so much for all of your support. Today, I talk with Chelsea Kim, co-founder and head of marketing and operations at Bella, a lifestyle brand with the first conversational bank, 100% powered by love. Bella is challenging the status quo and building their karma army by focusing on kindness, love, inclusivity, and equality while putting community and connections first. With years of experience helping to build startups in Silicon Valley, Chelsea is bringing her expertise to banking and creating a positive impact for their community and the world at large. Here's my conversation with Chelsea Kim. Excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading While Green podcast by Chelsea Kim. Chelsea, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Pierre. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's let's go back in the timeline. Let's hop in the time machine. Take me back to the teenage or even collegiate version of you. Now, what was going on in your world at that time? And what were the aspirations that you had? Oh, teenage me was, I'll be totally honest, a mess. I had no idea what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go with my life. Uh, in high school, I actually ended up going on a mission trip to Dominican Republic, and it changed my life. I had no idea what service in another country could be like, and that really sparked an interest in travel for me and understanding other cultures. And I think it really flows back to where I got this bug to help people. And that's really been the center of my life. Coming into my collegiate years in university, I changed majors every semester. Literally, I was in school for four solid years, including summers, over spring break, over winter break, just to be able to graduate in time <laughs> because my my parents were very adamant that if I didn't graduate in four years, I was wholly responsible for everything. My scholarships ran out and I was on my own. So I was dead set on getting out in four years, which actually is why I ended up with a health education major out of everything, because I had enough credits that all I needed was an internship my senior year to be able to graduate and have a degree at the end of this. I went from international relations and PR to pre-med to English major, you name it. I was all over the gamut, which I think has ultimately served me very well in my career and the things that I've ended up doing. But I won't say that I had it together at all until I would guess maybe about 10 years ago. <laughs> so, so talk to us about the shift that, that you made from, you know, the healthcare space to the tech space Were were you like a connect Legos Play-Doh <laughs> kid? Is, is that what kind of led your foray into it? What, what, what bit you, how did the technology bug bite you? It was, 
total happenstance. To be honest, uh, I was always the kid that was playing with cookware or easy bake ovens. I was, you know, the stereotypical little girl. And my brother was the engineer. I mean, we joke that he's the rocket scientist in the family. He he double majors as his his master's in uh, math and science. I mean, he's he's the tech one. He was coding from age 13. I was barely figuring out how to live my life. So uh, it was actually him who got me into technology. He was working at a company in Silicon Valley. And I was coming back from Europe where I'd been working as an occupational and uh, family therapist for autistic children and helping a transition. I was born in Hawaii. So helping a family transition from Hawaii back to Germany. And that can be really hard on children that are autistic because they need routine and normalcy for them. And so I spent about nine months doing that, came back. And as I said, I didn't have it together. I had no idea what I was going to do. I knew that I didn't want to go back to Hawaii. There just wasn't enough industry and success there for me to be able to thrive and achieve the things I wanted to achieve. So I knew I needed to move. Uh, And it was sort of between a position that would take me doing aid work in Africa that was based out of D.C. or sticking close to family and going to California where my brother had a network and was able to connect me into technology. And it just sort of flowed from there. Uh, It wasn't planned, like you'll find most things in my life are just falling into it and finding success. And I think a big part of success is just really having the abilities and skills to achieve and the drive to do it, and then the luck to find the right position and the right place to be at the right time. What what would you say to the young person, the the college student right now, or even someone in their early in their career and they're torn because maybe even in a spiritual sense, they have this sense (laughs) of wondering and wandering exploration, but part of them, family culture, whoever is whispering Mm -hmm. in their ear says that you have to follow this linear path to where you're trying to go and have everything mapped out and clearly direction and on a Gantt chart and all of those things. What would you say to a person who's, who's struggling with that tension? I've been there. I am, I'm Asian. So we have the, the tiger mom, tiger dad situation going on and I'm in the wanderlust world. So I've, I've been where you're at. Um, I ended up personally for me, the right path was to strike out on my own and, I won't call myself the black sheep of the family, but I'm definitely not following the path of the, my friends and family. So to say, I my family is in medicine or business. My brother's got his master's in technology, and they're doing great things. Um, most of my siblings are either in engineering or medicine, and I'm over here just playing around in tech and figuring out what I'm going to do. So, so I encourage you to stay on your path. I mean, you you never know where it's going to take you. You can find success in anything that you're doing as long as you have passion for it. And if you're, you know, you always hear the old adage, and it seems a little facetious to say, is as long as you're enjoying what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Hmm. I feel like to an extent, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of work involved in what we're doing, but it's fun. And I enjoy the people I'm working with, and I don't feel obligated to do it. So if you can find something that fulfills you in that way, Keep wandering until you do, because ultimately it'll serve you better than trying to follow someone else's path. 
we, we had some people listening to the podcast right now who, when you said you were Asian and the the family structure, family dynamics that you came from, I'm sure they're listening right now and their ears perked up because <laughs> yeah. they said, okay, yeah, I get it. I come from that family dynamic or a a culture where where I can resonate with what Chelsea is saying. How 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 have you navigated the traditional elements of it? This is what everyone expects of you. Mm-hmm. you know, everyone's a doctor. Everyone's a lawyer. Everyone's an engineer. Everyone is an X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And then there's you who says, "Yeah, it's cool for them." It, were there were there times where you had to to navigate what could have been interpreted as maybe cultural disrespect or um, yeah? And how 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 do you? Because I know a lot, I, I used to teach. A collegiate courses and I would have freshmen come in and say, you know, Professor Quinn, I want this major, but my family says, if I don't choose this, they're just mm-hmm. not going to pay for school. And, you know, I'm torn and I don't want to disrespect them, but I'm completely unhappy. How, how have you navigated those, those maybe landmines in the, mm-hmm. in the cultural fabric? There's a lot of contention there. I mean, it's not anything that's ever going to be an easy path. And that's where I say, ultimately, you have to decide what's right for you. Family obligation is a really powerful thing. And I know for especially my mother, it played a huge role into her life. And she was raised Southern Baptist. She's actually white from Tennessee. And um, she believes wholeheartedly that intrinsic value is the most important thing. So she drove us very hard on our education and making sure that, you know, I had friends in high school that every time they got an A, they got paid for it because they were achieving. And my mother laughed at me when I said that. She was like, well, don't you feel good about yourself? Then you won. So she instilled a lot of that into us. And uh, thankfully, I had kind of two sides of one coin that my, my mother was very encouraging to find success and support yourself, but do it in a way that makes you happy. My father, on the other hand, was very much, you need to go into medicine. He's the surgeon. He's like, this is your path. This is what you need to be doing. And if you're not doing this, then you're doing it wrong. And that contention has, has factored into our relationship and the way that we interact. And you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, oh, it worked out well in the end. And he's totally bought into my life and it's great. There are still some things there that that I didn't follow that path. I'm obviously not in medicine. I did have a stint in healthcare in some respects. And for him, I think it gave him a little bit more uh, pride that I had done that. But when I stepped out of it and went to tech, it wasn't a world he understood or a, there was no reason behind it to him. And it, it really struggled uh, to to understand me and where I was going. And it meant that I had to really stand on my own two feet and defend my decisions. And it made family dinners a little awkward, but at the end of the day, I was happy and I could live with myself and I could appreciate and enjoy my life. And you can't ask for more than that. You know, it's, it does take an inner strength, but you can get there. We, we resonate with so many of these you know, leadership stories and podcast interviews where people talk about what they were able to accomplish and how they navigated it, you know, how they've got funding for a major project. And we don't always, I think it creates, it creates sometimes even a dissociative state because we don't always say, okay, yes, there are magazine covers and podcast interviews and media coverage. And I still got to have awkward dinners. <laughs> awkward family yeah. dinners. Still human. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask you, who's the better drone pilot, you or your brother? Or does he even fly drones? 
My brother doesn't fly drones. He he works on the Alexa projects. So he's with Amazon. Uh, he's a software engineer. He actually, well, he was an optical engineer first. And the glass behind Google glasses, uh, that technology was something that he developed. That company also, he worked on the uh, motorcycle helmet HUD, the heads-up display for BMW that was in prototype. Uh, it's a really fun company, and we actually got to not work together, but work alongside each other during that period. As I said, he's the one that got me into tech, and uh, so he's not a drone pilot. It's never a path he took. I, I like to say that that was mine, mine alone. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm also not great at Python or SQL or you know writing any code lines. So he's got his thing too. <laughs> Somebody's like Python. What? Oh, coding. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. So that, let's talk about that because I know some people are thinking, oh, you just slipped that in there. She's a drone pilot. How You, you can't just let that <laughs> run away. Talk about that a little bit in, in you know, on your path, how, how did becoming mm-hmm. a drone pilot integrate into the work that you were doing? Sure. So it was actually the, a function of one of the jobs that I was hired to do. I was brought into a customer success department of a drone company. We manufactured the drones stateside as well as all of the software. And it's the first time I had ever interacted with a drone. Uh, most people at that company had been familiar with them, used them for fun, flown them around to just uh, take videos and pictures and things it was the first time I'd set eyes on one. And I was like, you're going to hire me to train people how to use this. And I've never even like seen one in person. (laughs) So so taking that step and being daring enough to try out something that I'd never even thought to attempt was, was a new piece of of courage for me. And because I had to learn how to fly them, uh, that was pre FAA regulations. I, ended up really understanding the whole complexity of how software works, how the 3D imaging works, how imagery stitched together creates these models. And it was just really intriguing to me. And the drone is really just a function of that learning curve and understanding how the lens heights and all these different things matter. And then the FAA stepped in and said, okay, all these rogue agents out here flying drones around in our airspace, you're going to interrupt planes and helicopters. And what are you guys doing out here? they ended up putting down something called a part 107. It's an FAA license. And I remember when we were trying to teach all of our drone pilots, all the material that it could cover, it was based off of actual small aircraft planes. They didn't have terms and things for drones at that time. So it ended up, we had to study all aspects of being a pilot and try to figure out what they might ask on this test And we read manual after manual, FAA regulation after FAA regulation. So I'm a drone pilot, but I feel like I've nearly got my pilot's license if you don't count the flying hours. (laughs) So we we ended up creating um, materials for these people to study. And it it was the first time the tests had ever been taken. You have to renew them every few years. And so uh, it was just a necessity of the job and learning aviation inside and out was intriguing to me. So it made it, again, not total work, but it was. And and we we really just fundamentally understand flight because of that. And so uh, it's taken me on a strange path. I always had a connection with aircraft uh, from early days. I had uh, 
friends of the family who were pilots and would take us up on planes. And so I always had a love of flying. Growing up in Hawaii, you can't go anywhere else if you don't get on a plane. I mean, commuting there between islands is a plane. There's no boats, there's no cars and and bridges. So it's always in my blood to be intrigued by flight. And it's probably one of the places I'm most happy is in an airplane, looking out the window and, and soaring over the clouds. So um, a pilot's license, drone or otherwise, seems like it was somewhere just destined on my path. And uh, and it was really fun to actually learn a lot about the intricacies of aviation and then be able to teach that and showcase that to people who weren't in positions that would normally see that. Um, we're talking about the drones were flying over quarries and they were helping measure wood piles or rock piles or figure out blasting zones and do measurements on CAD files that were 3D images that were created from these drones. Mm-hmm. And um, then it turned into insurance agents. And we were able to build an industry for disaster areas and looking at hailstorms and flooding and hurricanes and tornadoes where people were not safe to go into. And so I was able to, to an extent, become a storm chaser, which is not anything again that I ever thought I would do. But we would fly you know, to Houston and Miami, back up to Dallas, into Oklahoma, all through the hail belt, um, just chasing these storms with these insurance agents and catastrophe agents and really learning about how weather patterns happen and things like that. So it's, uh, it's, you never know where your journey is going to take you, but being a drone pilot took me on some really crazy and amazing adventures, meeting a, a lot of really fun people that I probably never would have interacted with otherwise. So we got growing up in Hawaii, we have mission <laughs> trips, we got Silicon Valley, California, and then we have Manhattan. <laughs> Why how, not? <laughs> how, how do we, I mean, it makes so much sense listening, listening to your story. It makes so much sense. But, but, but how do we get to Manhattan? How did you end up there? Oh, so I've never told anyone this and it's going to be horribly embarrassing when people hear it, but There was a song that I heard when I was young. I I can't remember exactly who sings it, but in it, my mom used to listen to it. And it, it talked about, you know, I think it's called wear sunscreen. I'll have to double check that, but it was about living in California for a part of your life, live in New York and Manhattan before you get too hard leave. And for whatever reason, as a child that resonated with me. And I think it was being in Hawaii and just wanting to see the world and understand what else was out there. Uh, Hawaii is a small Island. I mean, there's a huge population, but it's very connected. Everyone knows everyone. And I just really wanted to see the world and live in places. So I checked the boxes off my list is really what I was doing. I lived in California for about four years, almost five. And then it was time for Manhattan. I'd never been here before. I just somehow always knew that I wanted to live there because uh, honestly, I think it came back to the song that I heard probably when I was like eight or nine. <laughs> and and uh, so my company that I was working for in California okayed me to move to New York and open an office here. And so that was the drone company. So I continued with them here in New York, sort of building up their East Coast presence. Another salesperson came out here with me and we were trying to support bi-coastal so that we could we could really span the world and have people placed appropriately so that they weren't working 24 hours because we had customers from Australia to France and Germany. So our people were up all hours. So it made sense. Um, 
it just was a personal journey that I always wanted to fulfill. And so I lived in Europe for a little while, uh, working and doing some teaching there and then, uh, ended up back to California and now to New York. So I've checked all the places off my list. It's really nothing more than that. (laughs) It's crazy. I guess as that is. So how do we end up with the idea of Bella? And yes. at what point did you did, did you bring that into your ecosystem of all the things that you were working on? Yeah, so if we kind of trace back from high school forward, I started mission trips in high school. We started a nonprofit called Seeds of Hope for La Victoria because it just made sense for the amount of donations and things that we were doing. Built that in, uh, continued to do work through college, and then worked with special needs and autistic children. I specialized in autistic children ages 10 and under for special skills and social skills. Um, And then, you know, moving out of healthcare, doing the drones and helping people working in quarries extend their work life uh, from the physical labor side of things to the insurance and being able to get people back to their homes or get the money to support rebuilding their lives after catastrophe. There's sort of this thread that flows through that I never really until recently paid attention to that it's all really tied to just helping other people and showing compassion and love. And so when you think about Bella and where I am today, we are not a bank, but we're a banking experience. And we really think of ourselves as a lifestyle brand. And that lifestyle is about givers. We have something called a karma account, and you just put money into this account to pay it forward to other members. There's no debit card associated with it. There's no charges for your personal use. You put up to $20 into it, and then when another Bella member who you may never have met or known wipes their card for a small purchase, then the money's deducted from your account, and you're just paying it forward, doing something kind. It's based off an Italian tradition called Cafe Sospeso, started in Naples. And it's, uh, it's a way that people can just, if you are lucky enough to have things like money and to know how to manage it and to have even just a couple of dollars to do something kind for someone else, that's what the account's there for. It's to encourage you to be able to spread that globally. And that's really the core of Bella. So if you look back at my time and the things that I've done throughout my life, it really culminated in this opportunity for a lifestyle brand that just perpetuates that and provides ease for people to do it for each other. I'd love to hear about one of those conversations and maybe you didn't have mm-hmm. one. Maybe it's like an amazing success story mm-hmm. with no pitfalls and hangups and, and totally. Yeah. We've never had any hangups. <laughs> I'd love to hear about the, the, Oh, that'll never work. <laughs> when you oh. when you tell the idea, you shared the idea, and they said, "Yeah, sounds cool, but that'll never work." Thankfully, I was never the one that had to pitch that and sit in those rooms. Uh, Angelo, our CEO, was was the brainchild behind this. Uh, he's worked in the baking industry for over twenty years, based in Italy. Again, Cafe Sospesso, Italian tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he started a, a company there called Buddy Bank, and it was a bank for younger generation um, using a technology of conversational commerce. And he always had this dream. Again, he's not a banker either, uh, even though he's been in it for 20 years. And he had this dream of just doing joy and kindness and figuring out a way to make that into something that was tangible for all. And so, I mean, he's, 
pitched the thing all over the world, all to Italian companies and banks, to U.S. companies and banks. Finally, uh, Live Person, who is our parent company and and backs us entirely. Uh, Rob Lacasio, the CEO, was the platform provider for Buddy Bank. That's the conversational interface provider. And he is just a wonderful philanthropist as well. He has nonprofits that he works with and everything. He bought into it. And everyone laughed us out of the rooms otherwise, um, even when we were trying to launch pre-launch. So our company launched November 30th, 2020 in the craziest time that all of us have lived, right? We, we were deep into the pandemic, isolation, just crazy, crazy world that we had no idea we were stepping into. And uh, prior to that, we had a wait list and we were trying to advertise for it using Facebook and Instagram, just trying to get into where the consumers might be in this digital world because traditional advertising couldn't work, right? You couldn't put up a sign or, or billboard or something where somebody would see it and question. And Actually, the Facebook algorithms were listing us as a dating site because it's so unheard of to think that love and banking would be in the same sentence that we wouldn't be able to advertise to to anyone but single people. <laughs> and we had to be very careful how we phrase things because Facebook has all of these rules around how dating sites can advertise so that they are not um, going to couples or people in relationships and things like that. It was really intriguing to learn the back end of advertising on Facebook, but they considered us a dating site. And I think even now they consider us health and beauty, not even financial or lifestyle. So it's uh, even the tech companies were laughing us out of the room, whether intentionally or not. <laughs> this idea of conversational commerce, never mm -hmm. heard of the phrase before, never heard of the term. How does this shift experiences coming from a conversational perspective? And how have you integrated this into what you do at Bella? So the core of Bella is conversational. And when you think about the way that humans interact with each other, it's not with menus and buttons and tapping things, right? You have a conversation with each other like we're doing here or even on your phone when you're doing what we consider asynchronous messaging, which is like text messages or emails that the person doesn't have to answer right then, right? It's not a phone call where it's one-to-one -one and constant, uh, everything happens in a conversation. And so conversational commerce, the concept behind it is why would you not interact with businesses the same way you interact with people in your life? Why should that be a cold or calculated sort of interaction that's only distressing, right? Who wants to sit on hold for three hours to just get through to say your cable company as an example, and then have this horrible experience of maybe they can't help you and you've wasted half your day, right? And you have to do that maybe in work hours or off work hours, and you're taking your lunch to do that. Why can't you do that in a conversational space on your time? So interacting with businesses is the commerce part conversational is the way that we as humans interact. And so when you think about Bella, our app is based off of a sort of form fill technology that we call Socratex. And it assumes your intent when you start typing into it as to what you want to do and gives you short links to do that. And then when you're making your functions within it, like say you're transferring money, it does that in complete sentences because Going screen to screen and saying, I'll transfer $5 to this account, doing that. Sometimes you forget where you were doing or what you were doing, or maybe you're trying to send it to a friend and you want to add a note and you, you need to walk away. You know, a meeting comes up and you've got to do something. Then you come back to it and you're like, where was I? 
you don't want to start that process over. So it has a sentence that says transfer $2 from this account to that account or whatever it might be. And then you just confirm it. So it's all in the flow of how we as humans interact and engage with each other. If you need to talk to a support agent, uh, you can do that by just typing into the app help or agent. We call our agents squad. Uh, it's the Bella squad. So you can type squad and get to them. You can type human and get to them. There's always a person on the other end of the line if you don't want to interact with the technology. We don't use front-facing bots. Uh, soccer text is the closest thing to a bot we have. And like I said, it's a form fill. So it's giving you ideas of short links to do things, but it's, it's not a decision tree of those horrible experiences where you tap something. It's like, would you like to do a, B or C? None of the things I want to do are there. Now what? It's always a human on the other end because we think connection is so important and the conversational experience needs to be on your time. So it's all asynchronous. You'll get a message and a notification when the agent responds to you and you respond when you want. It could be three days later. They'll still have that conversational history to be able, even if that person's not there, the next one will be able to come in, see what you were talking about, what you need, and be able to service your need on your time. That's that's so cool because I know a lot of us have been in spaces where we needed support from you know a real person. And, you know, I'm on my lunch break. I need support. Let me mm-hmm. go on the the window. Let me log in, get my issues, start the conversation. But I gotta leave. I got to go back to work or another call yeah. comes and you know, there's the windows just shut off and you got to start all over again when you have mm-hmm. time. So I, lo- I love the concept and how, how you're framing that out at, at Bella. I wanted to ask you about a piece. I was watching a couple of videos on, on YouTube and this, this whole, you know, you've been there, you've been fast food restaurant or you've been at a, mm-hmm. at a store and they say, Hey, would you like to donate a dollar to X, Y, and Z? nonprofit and sometimes mm-hmm. you know say yes or say no however you feel how how is that experience different because i'm sure you've you know talked about it and had had brainstorms around this versus the pay it forward principle that you leverage at bella that really mm-hmm. sort of engenders people to mm-hmm. yeah i want i want to be a benefit to someone else. I want to be, I want to be a micro philanthropist of sorts <laughs> yeah. in other people's lives. And, and can you really, some people are asking, can you really build a sustainable business off of that, off of that concept? How, how did the exploration happen in, in that part of Bella's narrative? Sure. I think it goes back to your question about laughing us out of a room, right? How can you base a business on love? <laughs> it's a, and it, it's true. I mean, we get that question quite often about how can you actually, because we don't take a percentage off of that. We don't have a fee structure. Our accounts are free. And when I say free, I mean, no minimum balances, no overdraft fees, no ATM fees. Uh, we reimburse if another ATM provider charges you a fee because we don't believe that you should be paying to have access to your own money. Uh, and so the way that the Karma account works is it's entirely on your Time frame and your desire. Uh, it's interesting because we get a lot of people going in and saying, okay, well, why would I contribute to this? You know, maybe, maybe it's not something that feels accessible. And that's why we only say up to $20. You could put a dollar in and that dollar could pay it forward. But once people experience the joy of receiving it, they're so apt to put money in to do that for someone else. And those are the, the key people that are going to make this world 
turn around and, and continue to go, keep going. I remember during our beta, there was um, there was somebody who wrote into the team to let us know that they were having a really terrible day and just feeling really awful for whatever reason, you know, COVID or depression, whatever it was, very isolated. And they were walking to work and they saw a cupcake shop and they stopped in the cupcake shop and were feeling awful because as many of us know, in COVID, we eat our feelings. So we've gained a little weight <laughs> and, uh, and they were already feeling bad, but you know, cupcake would make it better. Swiped their Bella card, bought a cupcake and immediately got a notification that another Bella member had paid for that cupcake. Mm. And they said that the joy and the love that they felt from knowing someone out there that they'd never met in the world had cared for them enough to do that kind gesture, to put money into this account that was going to go to a stranger. It's not tax deductible. It's not like there's any benefit to you other than just doing a kind deed. And that perpetuated that person to then top up and put the whole $20 into their karma account so they could do that for someone else. And it's that that experience that will make us successful. And we have a low number of members right now because we're brand new and you know it's it's new technology, it's new interfaces, it's a new banking system. It's it's a lot of things that people need to build trust on because there's a lot of distrust in the financial service industry as there should be because there's a lot of reasons for that. But um We've had over fifty thousand dollars. I'm sure closer to sixty at this point. I haven't checked the numbers recently, but over fifty thousand dollars of karma pay it forward exchanges. That means our members have exchanged over fifty thousand dollars of kind gestures one to another. That's amazing to me. That is that is my why. That is why I keep going. Is that every time that you feel like there's a detractor or there's somebody laughing that's saying you're never going to make this work. You could point back to that and say, people actually care about each other and they're doing this just to be able to connect with one another. Nothing. The the apprehension that comes with the banking experience, mm-hmm. the banking industry, and especially when something is new and <laughs> people maybe not doesn't have that brand recognition yet. So there's that set of apprehension. There's the other set of apprehension that comes along with yeah, but there's a female behind it and she's Asian <laughs> and, you know, and this is tech and like. She's already told us, what does she know about anything? <laughs> know, like, it, it, the, so this kind of hits a, a soft spot for me because mm-hmm. my youngest daughter is, is she is very much, I'm going to rip this thing apart and figure out how it works. <laughs> I may or may not put it back together, but I'm going to rip it apart and figure out and figure out how it works. And, and knowing that as gifted and talented or even as inquisitive as she is, she's about to face a world that says, yeah, but um, you're black and mm-hmm. you're a girl and this is the tech world. So I don't know if, you know, we might chuckle when you come into the room. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how I know you can make a case for more for more females in tech, for more Asian females in tech, for my mm-hmm. minorities in tech. Uh, but do you ever think that we'll get to a place where we won't have to make a case where we'll experience normalcy? 
Like this is a thing. Like it's not a <laughs> has to have a huge campaign behind it. This is just the way we do life in an integrated, inclusive fashion. Or do you think that we'll just have to keep fighting, fighting for this? I will say it is my dream that it will be one day normal and accepted and not something that is a qualifier. Mm. There's no female CEO. It's just yeah. CEO, right? None of those cutesy names like CEO and things that I think personally believe demean the position and the struggles that it takes to get there. And so I, I have that dream. I don't think that it will happen quickly because I'm a realist, but but it is making impact and making a difference. And actually, that's one of the things that Will, Angelo, and I as founders, Bella, are very focused on is creating opportunities for women. And our team comes from extremely diverse backgrounds. And I mean that not just race, ethnicity, or gender. We have that too, but also from, from experience. And I think, you know, my story plays into a lot of that of not really having a dedicated path. I didn't go to, you know, get my my certification in financial accounting, or I didn't go to get my engineering degree and end up in this place where I had always been on a path. You know, we have somebody who is, uh, whose desire is to be an actor and screenwriter who's helping with our support team. And we have somebody who worked at a nonprofit and uh, is now, you know, running in operations. And so it's it's really the idea behind giving people a chance and believing that they are capable of achieving that will change the dynamic. And it's not just the background, but it's cognitively attacking the discrimination and the the inability to put your foot into the door. It's already difficult to get into tech. It's it's not like you just graduate and all of a sudden there's jobs sitting there for you and it's very intuitive. I mean, some of these these application processes for the big tech companies take six or nine months. Who's got six or nine months to not have any income and be in an application process, you know, that you may or may not get the job? It's insane. It's very difficult and it's very competitive. And so it's not just getting the opportunity, but being able to support yourself to be there and keep fighting to get there. And it's only when we change the practices of the business that that's going to be possible. So Bella is more than 50% female running the company, um, not just leadership, but all through levels. We're more than 50% of diverse ethnicities from Black, Asian, Hispanic. Um, we focus on finding talent and being in the places where those people are so they can know about us and know about the positions we have open. Because if we don't make the change from the top down, it can't be affected. You can't bottom up, force your way in the door. Yeah. You know, that only works so far. And so, uh, it's only where we forge forward and then can see ourselves in those positions or achieve those levels that the next generation can come up and know that's possible. And then it becomes intuitive and it's just normal. Man, this, this conversation has just really flown, flown by. I got to ask you before we, before, before I let you go, what's, what's next, what's on the horizon of, for you, for Bella, you know, what's over the rainbow, what's on the big, <laughs> you know, we're recording this in March of 2021 what's on the vision board or the journal or you know what what are you looking at as a next phase or next big goal 
Well, Bella just started. We we started in finance, but that's not where we're ending. And I, I'm going to be here for a while trying to make change and forge paths for other women, for other technologists, for other people who don't believe that technology may be for them, who have never thought about it. It is for you and it is the future. And there's so many different avenues for it. So Bella's next project that we'll be launching here in the next quarter is going back to my roots. And it's all about communities and change makers and taking it outside of tech and and the application. Technology is facilitating our ability to connect and do different things in this time of isolation. It's providing opportunities for joy and support and kindness. And so we're going to take that out into the real world. And we're already partnering with a few different change makers, as we call them. Some are nonprofits, some are individuals that are helping in their communities address the issues that they see. Everything from generational trauma of you know systematic racism and financial uh, ability and access and financial wellness, all the way to creating community spaces that are clean and safe where you know, families and people can gather in a space that maybe was an empty and deserted lot. Now we're turning it into culture and art locations. And we're partnering with people who are in those communities, who are driving those initiatives and who just need a little bit of a hand up and somebody to support them that maybe they can't get a grant or funding. Bella can be that for them. And so this is sort of the next step is let's actually affect change permanently for someone's life. Karma account is great. And it does give you that sense of satisfaction to provide joy to someone and then also to receive it. But let's make lasting change. And that's next for Bella and for me. Shameless plug time of the podcast. (laughs) Shameless plug. Give us URLs. Give us the call to action, discount, coupon code, whatever it is (laughs) that you got the point is in your direction. In what ways do you want people to connect with you and what you're doing? Definitely follow us on Instagram at bellaloves.me. It is our community-based interaction platform. That's where we talk to and give information about the, the site, about the services, everything that might be going on. It's the main way we communicate. You can also check out more at www.bellaloves.me and learn about our banking services, what's up next, our, all about our Karma accounts, what we call our Karma score, which I know we didn't even talk about, and unconventional savings rules, purpose is to build financial wellness. So helping you achieve financial wellness in whatever capacity that means for you. If that's just figuring out how to save a dollar at a time, or in our case with unconventional savings rules, whenever it's sunny in your hometown or raining or whatever it might be tied to weather, uh, it can automatically transfer your savings account. So it becomes subconscious and you're already making a good step for your financial wellness by doing something so simple as getting up in the morning and checking the weather. <laughs> so, so check us out. <laughs> Chelsea, you and your team challenging the status quo, building a movement by injecting love, beauty, and empathy into business. Loved hearing the story, love that you shared, love the call to action and the mission, keeping us mission minded. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. great conversation with Chelsea Kim from Bella really really loved it Chelsea was open she was honest transparent about her journey ups and downs proves that you don't have to have it all figured out in the beginning or even in the middle gotta work hard be honest be willing to be flexible and learn new things and amazing things will happen they're doing some amazing things at Bella 
Be sure to hop over to Instagram and follow them, bellaloves.me. It's also their website, bellaloves.me. You might even want to sign up for a Bella account. We put some links in the show notes so that you're only one click away. You got no excuse. Follow up on Chelsea and her work. That's all I got for this episode. You know, it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.